It's great to be with you today, Chapel Hill family. My name is Julie Hawkins, and I am the director of Next Steps. And we're in the middle of a sermon series called Elevate Others. In the past few weeks, we've talked about what it looks like to elevate others through humility, by thinking of others more than ourselves. And we talked about what it looks like to elevate others with empathy, to lift the burdens of others. And I know that you have been as encouraged during this sermon series as I have because we keep hearing stories of Chapel Hill people elevating others in the community. So first off, I want to say, great work. We're really proud of you. And we would love to continue hearing stories of how you're elevating others. So if you see somebody else from Chapel Hill elevating somebody in our community, because I know that you're all practicing humility, we would love for you to share that story with us so we can celebrate what the Lord is doing. But today, I have to tell you that we are tackling a tough one. Today, we're talking about how do we elevate difficult people? Sure, we can elevate others by thinking of them more than ourselves, and sure, we can work on lifting up the burdens of others, but are we really supposed to elevate the people that we don't like? Are we really called to elevate people who've betrayed us or harmed us or are just downright difficult? Surely not, right? Well, As you can imagine, the Bible has something to say about this, and it's a little bit different than our nature. So today we will be looking at Colossians 3. In the first two chapters of Colossians, Paul writes about the supremacy of Christ. He says that in Christ we have both the fullness of God and we have the completeness of our salvation. And then he switches gears and he says, if... Christ is God, and if he has forgiven us of our sins, how then shall we live? What does it look like to be a follower of Christ with this knowledge? And his answer is it looks completely different than the way things used to be. He says that we're to take off our old self like an ill-fitted garment and cast it aside. And instead, we're supposed to put on our new self. And he describes what that new self looks like in Colossians 3.12. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the new self. This is what it looks like, the attitude that we're supposed to take. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, patience, spiritual fruit. This is what it looks like to be chosen by God. And then Paul says, and this is what those characteristics look like in action, a practical step. And that is our verse for today, Colossians 3.13. He says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive others. Case closed, huh? There's our answer. We're supposed to forgive others. Easy peasy, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, you can go, right? Wrong. Absolutely wrong. I want to take a quick poll. Wherever you're sitting at home, I want you to raise your hand. If you've ever had a difficult time 
forgiving somebody? Anybody? I'd wager that we all have our hands raised right about now. And frankly, we all should have our hands raised because forgiveness is not easy. And the type of forgiveness that Paul is talking about in this verse, it's a tall order. He starts by saying that we are to bear with one another. Now, this is different than what Pastor Mark talked about a few weeks ago, where Paul says, where we're told that we're to bear with each other's burdens. No, this is actually the idea of putting up with one another, putting up with the things that bug us about other people. Because frankly, people can be hard to deal with. I know it's a shocker, right? And wait for it, even Christians can be hard to deal with. Now, before you start making a mental note in your head of all the people at church that bug you, I want to remind you that Paul says, bearing with each other, which means we are all a part of the problem. It reminds me of a story that my grandma used to tell about the biggest fight that my grandma and grandpa ever had. Grandma doesn't even remember what they were fighting about, but something really set her off. And she was just going after him. She was saying, you do this, and you do that, and you always do this, and you never do that. And 10 years ago, you said this, and I've never forgotten it, and this, and that, and this, and that, and this, and that. And then she finally had to come up for breath. And when she did, my grandpa walked over to her, and he grabbed her hands— And he looked into her eyes and he said to her, Marge, you're right. I am a difficult person to live with, but you should know that you're no picnic either. Because the reality is that we are very capable of finding faults in others, but we're no picnic ourselves. And we should remember that. And yet, Paul calls us to bear with each other. And not only that, he calls us to bear with each other with these characteristics that he described earlier. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, patience. Now, I want to be clear with you that when Paul says this, he is not condoning bad behavior. He is not condoning sin. Instead, if you remember, he said that we're supposed to take off our old self and discard it. And in a couple of verses later, in 3.16, he says that we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So he goes on to say that we're supposed to admonish one another. We're supposed to correct behavior. But he's saying that we're supposed to do it with this attitude of kindness and patience and humility. Often when we admonish one another, it's not with that attitude. And so he's reminding us that that's how we are to do it. And I know that this is difficult to do, but frankly, Paul is about to double down on what he's asking of us. Paul goes on to say that if this wasn't hard enough, we want you also to forgive one another. He says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As many of you know, I am a recent seminary grad. In fact, my graduation was supposed to be this weekend. It was canceled. But as a recent seminary grad, I love nerding out on the original language. And I really nerded out here. So bear with me for a second. 
The word for complain that Paul uses is a very unique word. It means that you're bearing, that you're, uh, the complaint is like a, a real fault, a real problem, a legitimate cause to be angry with somebody. It's either a debt or a transgression. So it's something legit. And this word is only used once in the New Testament, in this verse here. But here's the part that is so interesting to me. Even though it's only used once in the New Testament, it was an extremely common and popular word in Greek and Roman texts in the first century. Because this idea of finding fault and placing blame and then enacting revenge was key to the balance of Roman life. So while it was not common in the New Testament, it was common in Roman life. And we see in this that there's this really stark contrast where Paul is saying, if you find fault, forgive. If you find fault, don't seek revenge, which would be expected. It would actually even be approved. Instead, forgive each other. For the Roman world, that would have been shocking. It would have been so different. And if we pause and look honestly at our current situation, it's not that different for us, is it? In fact, it's quite the same. C.S. Lewis, the author of Mere Christianity and the Chronicles of Narnia, writes this, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Isn't that the truth? Because we love to hold on to things. We love to brew and stew. We like to think about the confrontation. We like to think about what we would do if we bumped into the person. We like to think about what we would have done and said differently so that we could have had the upper hand in the argument. And when we do that, we drag ourselves down, down, down into the ditch and we're pulling anybody around us down with us. It is a really sad state of affairs. It reminds me of a story that some of you would be familiar with. A few years ago, a man named Michael Morton came and visited us here at Chapel Hill. Now, Michael was wrongfully accused of the brutal murder of his wife, and he spent close to 25 years in prison for a brutal crime that he did not commit. And he knew that he was in prison because a prosecutor had withheld evidence. So as he sat in his prison cell, he was brewing and stewing. He was holding on to bitterness. He talks about how he would relive the situation over and over again and think, what should I have done differently? And he would plan meticulously a revenge that he knew was impossible, that he couldn't enact. He says he, he knows the irony that he was in prison for a murder he didn't commit, planning a murder that he wanted to commit. And he said that it ate him alive. It was more of a prison than the cell that he lived in. He held on to that bitterness. The good news, if you know the rest of the story, is that he was eventually released. He was exonerated, completely innocent, and, and found his freedom. He also found renewed faith in Jesus Christ. And he was able, while in prison still, to forgive the man who had done such a grievous wrong to him. But he talks about the years that he wasted holding on to that bitterness. And when we hear 
stories like Michael's, um, it really gets our hackles up with our sense of injustice. And so I think it's a good moment for us to talk about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. So first off, forgiveness, it is a remission of the feeling of revenge, of the want and desire to retaliate against somebody. It's saying, I have no quarrel with you anymore. It isn't, on the other hand, condoning of sin. It isn't saying that you need to stay in an unsafe or dangerous situation. It isn't a light switch that you turn on. It's not something that's easy to do. And forgiveness does not say that justice ceases to exist. We still pursue justice even in the act of forgiveness. So the logical next question would be, okay, if that's what forgiveness is, then how exactly do we do it? How do we go about this business of forgiveness? And I think that the answer to that question, how do we go about forgiveness, is found in something that's very essential to being a follower of Jesus. It's found in knowing what it is to be forgiven. To forgive others, we first must recognize what it means to be forgiven. And for the Christian, we know what that looks like. In our verse that we looked at earlier, it says that we are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In a similar passage, in Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's obvious that Paul really connects these two, forgiving others and being forgiven by God. But this idea, it was not original to Paul. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about how forgiving others and being forgiven by God went hand in hand. Even in the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let us forgive others as you have forgiven us. And Jesus is the one who paid our debt. He is the model of forgiveness for us, and he is the method, the avenue of our forgiveness. We look at Jesus, who came to the world in an act of love, and he was despised and rejected. We look at Jesus, who is innocent and obedient, and he was crucified on the cross like a common criminal for a crime he did not commit. And as he awaited the cross and watched soldiers barter his clothes in front of him, his call was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even in the moment of the cross, he still spoke a message of forgiveness. Jesus, of all of us, not only had the right to vengeance, because he was innocent, he also had the ability to take vengeance on, but he didn't do it. Instead, he willingly went to the cross so that we might be forgiven. He willingly paid our debt. And we must understand the quality of this forgiveness that Jesus offers us. It's unsolicited forgiveness. 
I'm going to say that again. It's unsolicited. We didn't ask for this. In fact, we didn't even know we needed it. We're told that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This forgiveness, it is abundant. It is gracious. It is continual. And it is complete. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, and I don't know if this is my east and this is the west, but it says that's how far he has removed his trans- our transgressions from us. Our sin is gone. He has removed it. He has forgiven us. We don't deserve it. We definitely didn't earn it. And here Jesus offers us this beautiful and free gift. If you were in the congregation today, I would be expecting you to say hallelujah and amen right now because that is a beautiful thing. I had a seminary professor who uh, he would talk about often that we all have some grievous error, some serious sin in our background, some regret, a broken relationship, something that terrible that we did. He said that it's the thing that keeps us up at night, either on our knees because we fear for our soul, because we fear the fire of hell, or it keeps us on our knees because we are praising the Lord saying, hallelujah, my sin has been forgiven. And he called that sin our even that the even that sin. He said, when we hear a message for, of forgiveness, we always have that thing that we think, even that, Jesus, you forgive even that? And the answer that Jesus gives us, praise God, is yes, even that. I forgive even that. And that idea is what has helped me reframe how I think about forgiveness. When I think about forgiveness through the lens of being forgiven, it really changes my perspective. When I find myself thinking, I can't forgive them. They've never even apologized. I remember that while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. Or when I find myself thinking, I can't forgive them. They'll just do the same thing again and again and again. I remember that Jesus forgives me again and again, and again. And when I find myself thinking, really, you want me to forgive even them? I remember that Jesus forgave even that for me. And beyond that, I know that I have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the helper who comes to empower me to forgive when I find it impossible to do it myself. Forgiveness equals freedom. It is in forgiveness that we have the freedom found in Christ. Forgiveness equals peace, a peace that passes all understanding. It seems incomprehensible to the world. It is in forgiveness that we experience the mercy of God. It is through forgiveness that we experience restored and reconciled relationship that can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is through forgiveness that we are able to elevate others and that we're lifted up ourselves in the process too. I love hearing stories of the way that God has 
used forgiveness to change people's lives. And one of the delights of my job is that I get to participate in Alpha. So three times a year, I get to hear this beautiful story of Corey Ten Boom. And I just can't retell it myself. So we're just going to go ahead and watch a clip of it together. I love that quote at the end. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Those are words to live by. Those are words for us to cling to. We cannot elevate others if we're unwilling to forgive them. We cannot elevate people if we're dragging them down with them, if we're holding them down with us. We'll all end up in the muck if that's what we do. But what if instead we were like the early church and we were countercultural? What if instead we looked like God's chosen people acting with compassionate hearts and kindness, humility, meekness, patience? What if instead people looked at us and we were known for our forgiveness? Wouldn't that be an incredible thing? Wouldn't that be beautiful? I recognize that this, like I said, forgiveness, it's not a light switch. It's not an easy thing. And so I want to give you a few practical steps of how uh, you might take that step towards forgiveness. First, if you have things in your life that um, people in your life that you have a difficult time forgiving, and I know that some of you have been through really hard, really difficult things. If you have those things in your life, or if you have that even that that I talked about, that sin that you're saying, yeah, okay, I know that you say Jesus forgives even that, but not for me. If you have somebody that you want to forgive or don't want to forgive and can't, or if you have something in your life that you feel like you cannot give up and that you cannot get past, I want to invite you to take part in some of our care ministries here at Chapel Hill. We have a Celebrate Recovery program where people come together and together they find freedom from these things that hold us down. So I'd invite you to to explore joining Celebrate Recovery. We still have a process to join Celebrate Recovery virtually, even at this time. And second, I want to invite you to explore the idea of lay counseling or counseling at Chapel Hill. Our lay counseling, we're just graduating eight new lay counselors, and they're doing virtual appointments, many of them. And it is a great way to have a conversation with somebody to process what it looks like to be forgiven and also to forgive. So I want to invite you to look into those things. But finally, I think our first step should always be prayer. If we remember back to that Michael Morton story earlier, Michael will say that he was able to forgive when he cried out to God because he was desperate for change. That's when the process started for him. And so forgiveness begins with prayer. So I want to encourage you to take the time to release it to the Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, empower me to forgive And we're going to spend some time doing that right now. We're going to spend some time in prayer together. So would you please join me in prayer? Father God, I recognize that this is a difficult thing. It feels almost insurmountable. But we know that even though we can't do it, that you can. And so we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would empower us 
to forgive others in our life. For the person out there who is thinking of the person that they just can't forgive, they can't even fathom it, would you grant them the grace and the power to forgive? Would you give them the ability uh, to know what it might look like for them in their situation? And for the person who has something in their life that they just can't forgive something that they've done, Jesus, would you free them from the guilt and the shame? Would you give them mercy? And would you forgive them? To the person who is sitting there today thinking, I don't know if I'm forgiven. I don't know what it means to be forgiven by Jesus. Lord, we we know that you offer this free gift. And so for that person, I invite you to pray with me a, a very simple prayer that uh, we pray in the church. And it's, it's just a way of saying that you're sorry to Jesus and accepting that gift of, of um, forgiveness from him. So if you'd pray with me and just uh, say, Father, we're sorry for the ways that we have sinned against you. And we thank you for the gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd forgive us of our sins and that you would give us a peace that passes understanding. Please come into our lives. Jesus, we pray that we would be known as a people who are forgiving and loving and kind, compassionate hearts, meekness, and patience. Let that be our attitude. May we be your chosen people. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.